Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, we began our new series through the book of James. We started with an intro to the book, including who the author is, who he wrote this letter to, and the purpose of his writing. Follow along, and we hope you enjoy the message. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. We are uh, indeed starting something that's not been done in a while here in middle school, and that is going through uh, one book of the Bible and just kind of camping there and making our way through it bit by bit until we finish the thing. So we're going through the book of James. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles there now. James is towards the end of your Bible. It is after Hebrews. Hebrews, James. I don't know if you guys remember that song, but there it is. Yep, some, some uh, probably not middle schoolers in here remember that, but there's a little, little tune that uh, starts out, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. James Thompson probably knows it, and he can sing it for, the, for us, but James is toward the end of your Bible, and uh, here's what we're going to do this morning. It's going to be a little bit different because we're not just going to like camp in one passage or one section of Scripture. We're actually going to give kind of an overview of the book of James, okay? So think about it like this. Anytime you write something, let's just say it's something for school, heaven forbid you have to write something for school, right? How, how many of you by show of hands actually like writing? Anybody like writing? Nice. See, now, how, how many of you would rather do a math problem than write something? Okay, some of you. Uh, how many of you would rather, like, let me put my hands on something, like do maybe a science project or just something where I have to work with my hands? Okay, we're getting just a poll. It's kind of split, I would say, into thirds. Maybe there's more. How many of you just would rather give me a ball and I'll play with sports, right? Let, let, let me just play the sports games. Nice, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I don't know that I have a total preference. I probably would rather be doing a sport if I'm being graded on something, but uh, I kind of like little bits and pieces of all of it, and, uh, and I did growing up. So, uh, but this morning, when we talk about writing, whether you're writing something for school or maybe you're writing something uh, like a birthday card to a friend, it's important to know some things, like who uh, you're writing this for, right? So if it's a project, Uh, or a paper for a certain teacher in a certain subject. Uh, It's important to know why you're writing this, right? If it's it's for a grade and you have to write about a certain subject, if it's a birthday card and so you're writing uh, to somebody to say, hey, congratulations on doing nothing but existing and it being your birthday again, right? Uh, Really, we should probably be writing birthday cards to our mothers when it's our birthday because they were the ones who took most of the burden in getting us here. But anyway... um, when we write these things, it's important to know, like, hey, what's the reason we're writing it? Who are we writing it to or who are we writing it for? It's important to know these things because if you write a birthday card to somebody who's 16 and you talk about, man, I'm, I'm so excited for you to finally get out of pull-ups and be potty trained and everything, they're going to be a little confused. Like, I don't, maybe that is a 16-year-old in your life, but on average, most 16-year-olds are, like, Hey, I'm excited for you to maybe get your driver's license this year, as scary as that might be, or, or something like that, right? Like, hey, I hope you're doing great in high school, whatever it is. If you don't pay attention to who it's being written for, who it's being written to, and kind of the purpose of your writing, you're congratulating them on their 16th birthday, not like their fifth or sixth birthday, right? Then you can totally miss... Uh, miswrite or miscommunicate. It's important to know these things, and it's important to know these kinds of things when we're reading the Bible, too. I think some of us might think of the Bible as just like a collection of sayings, and actually there's a book of the Bible called Proverbs that kind of is that, but on the whole, the, the, the books of the Bible, the books that make up the Bible, they're written by certain people for specific reasons to specific groups of people. And when it comes to the book of James, James is actually a letter in the Bible. Kind of interesting to think about that. But 
pretty much uh, almost 70-ish percent of the New Testament is, is actually letters that were written. And, and James is one of those letters. You might even hear it called an epistle, the epistle of James. Everybody say epistle. Starts with an E, ends with an, an, an isle, right? An epistle is a letter, and James is one of these letters. And so here's what we're going to talk about this morning for just a few minutes is who wrote it, who they were writing it to, and why they were writing it. You could kind of talk about this being the context of this book, the context of the book of James, the context of the letter of James. What, what are these things? And it's important to know because then as we read through this, uh, this book or this letter that only has, as you might know how many chapters the book of James has? Anybody? A couple? But listen, if all you did was raise your hand, this is what I told first service. Anybody raising your hand right now is correct because it's five, okay? It's five chapters in the book of James. You could read one chapter a day for the next several weeks as we're in this book. And even if you miss a couple days, you still would read the whole book just about every week, right? There's five chapters in this book of James. And as we read through it, if you have this context in mind, who wrote it, who they wrote it to, why they were writing it, it's very helpful in understanding what you're actually reading, okay? So we're going to talk about those things real briefly here this morning. Let's do this by reading the first verse of the book of James, chapter one, verse one, to talk about who wrote it and who they wrote it to. James, this is in verse one, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Greetings, right? Maybe that's how you need to start your letters. Uh, maybe, maybe with some of this like servant language, but m- more, maybe more likely in our day and age, greetings, right? This sounds like a very... Uh, formal way of saying things. So here we go. Who wrote the book? Who did we just see wrote this letter in this very first verse? James. Great job. Not James Thompson. Okay. Here's the guy that wrote the book. Does anybody know anything about James? Anybody? They're not? Oh. Huh, 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 huh. Yeah, Riley. He was Jesus' brother. That's a great place to start. And an interesting place to start, right? We don't often think about Jesus having siblings, but he did. That's really weird, Right? Because I normally think about, okay, it was Mary and Joseph, and God was his heavenly father, but he'd given Mary and Joseph as Jesus' earthly parents, and it was just them three, right? And they were growing up, and we don't get a whole lot of clues about what it was like to grow up in that house, but we picture Jesus as being like the perfect kid, which probably in a lot of ways he was, uh, and, and that was it. And then he just grew up and did the ministry that we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and We don't think about it, but Jesus actually had siblings, and one of those was James. Here's a question for you. What would it be like for you to have as one of your siblings? Maybe you're an only child. Maybe you have a lot of siblings. I don't know. But if you had a sibling who was the son of God, right? You think right now that your parents play favorites, right? And you're like, man, they certainly treat my sibling like they're the son or the daughter of God, right? but I know they're not perfect. But James actually had Jesus as his sibling. And then at some point, okay, if it's not weird enough to think, okay, James had Jesus, had the son of God as his brother. It's weird. It's mind blowing. Here's how he just identified himself. He gets to the point where he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, my brother. I added the my brother part. But that's what's happening here. No, no, no. What would it take for you to get to a place 
where you start identifying yourself like, okay, a servant of the Most High God, like basically saying, hey, I'm James, I'm a Christian. Maybe some of you have, have told people that before. You've got it in your, if you're old enough now to have an Instagram or whatever, like you've got that in your bio. But following that up with, hey, I'm a servant of God and of my brother, <laughs> right? What would it take for you to get there to say, hi, I'm Susie, servant of my brother Timothy, right? <laughs> or I'm, I'm the servant of my younger sister, Beth, right? <laughs> whatever your younger sibling's name might be. What would it take for you to get there? I, I can say, honestly, I have a, you guys might not know this. I have a younger sister. Her name is Alex, okay? You think your parents get your names mixed up? Alex Dallas, Alex Dallas. Like, eventually, it just kind of mixes together. It was terrible uh, and still happens. But I have never identified myself as I am the servant of my sister, Alex. And yet, James does it here. So something happened in James's life where he finally went to a place where he was able to say, I believe that my brother is the son of God and I'm going to follow him and submit my life to him. To where he's now at the point where he's writing this letter and identifying himself first and foremost as a servant of God and of his brother, Jesus Christ. Now a little bit more info on James. James was a person who at this time held some authority in the early church he was one of the leaders of this new movement that was starting. And so he had some authority. He had some position in the early church. And so if you got a letter from James, it would have been something you're like, oh man, I can't, I can't wait to read it. I can't believe that he would take the time to write to us. I, I want to know what this guy has to say. He's certainly got some insights and some things that would be helpful, which leads us to who are the folks that he was writing this to? We've got James as the author. Who is his audience? Here's what he says in the second half of verse 1 to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Here's what you need to know is going on. Again, it's important. Because if you, if you get the audience wrong, then when you read this, you might not quite understand what he's talking about, right? Like if James was writing to us today, that would be very different, probably some of the things that he would say in context than some of the things that he would have been writing to these early Christians, and specifically for this group of people, here's who it was, is people who once were Jews, but now they've trusted in Jesus, and we often call these folks Jewish Christians. So they once were Jewish, and they followed that to a law, uh, followed it to the letter of the law, lived a Jewish lifestyle. Now they are Christians. Why is this extra important right now? Because when they converted to Christianity, when they believed in and trusted and put their life and their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the brother of James, now their world kind of started to shake up. And this is where that dispersion word comes in. He's actually kind of pointing back to or referencing some things in the Old Testament. But here's what's, what he's saying is, hey, you guys have been dispersed. You've been scattered You've gone in all these different places around the, the, the known world at the time. Why have they done that? Because of persecution. James is writing to people who were once Jews, now are Christians. We call them Jewish Christians. And he's writing to them who have been scattered because they are under intense persecution. Their lives are threatened. Their livelihoods threatened. Their families are threatened. They could end up on trial or in jail. They're, they're under intense persecution. How do we get a little more insight into that? Well, some of it is like you can do background work that's like outside of the scriptures, but you can also go straight to the scriptures. The next couple of verses say this, count it all joy, verse two, my brothers, my, my people, the people he's writing to, 
when you, when you uh, meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Again, we're not diving too deep into this. We'll actually likely touch on these verses next week. But here's what he's saying is, hey, I know you're struggling. I know you're going through trials. I know you're going through hard times. And we just said, people have been dispersed. They're under intense persecution. He's starting that off because he knows that that's the life. That's what they're in the middle of. That's the context of the people that he's writing to. And he kicks it off by saying, hey, I know you're going through that. I know it's hard. But when you encounter hard times, when you encounter trials, know that God is working, know that God is moving, know that he's still with you, know that he is using those things to mold and shape you. In fact, he uses really strong language here to make you more perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Very strong, but very like forceful and encouraging for a reason right off the bat. So again, we'll get to that, but here's one of the big reasons he's writing these people is because they are under persecution, under intense persecution, and they need some encouragement. They need some reminders. They need some hope. And they need to know, how does my faith, how does what I believe actually play out and help me right now in real life in the midst of what they were going through? All right, you good? Tracking with me? This might be heavy. Maybe we shouldn't have done an intro today. Maybe we just should have done a couple verses. But I think it's helpful, okay? Remember, all these things, this is, this is why... Like if, if your friend just pulls out a random verse and they make their own interpretation, or maybe you've done this before, this is why it's so important to know, hey, I don't know that that's exactly what he was saying. Because, you know, the people he was writing it to, and you actually, do you know the person that it was being written, uh, written by? Like it's, this is very, very important to know the context of the things that we're reading. So uh, that's kind of the first big thing he was writing to. Uh, James was writing to Jewish Christians who were under intense persecution, and he's writing partly to encourage them. The other thing, I've kind of already mentioned it, is he's trying to help them see, hey, your faith in Jesus is more than just things that you know and believe in your head, but your faith is actually meant to be played out in real life, lived out in real life. It's, it's meant to be a lifestyle not just something you say with your words or think with your head, but something you actually live out with everything that you do in any and every, in any and every circumstance or situation. Uh, you can turn to chapter two. We're going to get there in just a second, verses 14 through 17. But how many of you have something in your house like you regularly walk by and you look at and you're like, oh, I remember a time when I used to use that. Maybe I should use that thing again. Or maybe you look at it and you're like, well, eh, there's never really been a time I used it. Uh, maybe I should use it at some point. I'll, I'll give you an example of what this is. Maybe you have something that'll pop up in your mind. This is a true story, okay? My dad, one year for Christmas, wanted a, an iPad, right? So we pitched in, my mom, my sister, and uh, my, my family, me and my wife, we all pitched in. The boys did not pitch in because they don't have jobs, and uh, we're working on that, okay? They're unemployed right now, my two-year-old and my five-year-old, we're working on it. But we all pitched in. We're going to buy dad the iPad. He wants the iPad. He's excited about the iPad. He's, you know, hopefully anticipating the iPad, like has some hope. He's anticipating, I might get this iPad for Christmas. Sure enough, he gets it for Christmas. Santa has made all of his dreams come true, right? In the form of me and my family. And uh, so he's excited about the iPad, but does not open it on Christmas day. Okay, that's fine. He's probably, you know, he's probably was cooking lunch that afternoon or cooking like an early dinner kind of thing. He's busy. That's fine. A couple months go by and I'm like, dad, so how, like, how's the iPad? Are you, are you loving it? Are you enjoying it? He's like, ah, 
To be honest, I haven't even gotten to open it. I've just been so busy, okay? Again, not what I would do, okay? But my dad is a busy guy. He's got a lot going on, and uh, he likes to sleep a lot, okay? So that's probably most of what he's got going on. But time goes by, and it gets to the next Christmas. A year has gone by, and we're like reminiscing about last Christmas. Oh, yeah, Dad, you got your iPad. By the way, like, are you, you're using that, right? Like, you're enjoying it? My dad's not using the iPad at this point, okay? Another year goes by. My dad's not using the iPad. It wasn't until the following. So we're talking like two and a half years later. We're on family vacation, okay? So I'm watching this unfold before my eyes. And he's just now opening up the iPad. Now, at this point, it's like, it's out of date. Like, you probably can't even update this bad boy because how quick Apple updates their devices and says, nope, that one is now dead to us, right? But he's pulling this out two and a half years later for the first time turning it on, for the first time plugging it in for a charge, for the first time using it to any length. What's the point of him having an iPad for two and a half years? What's the point of us contributing, you know, like $100, $200 each so that he can get like the newest and the best iPad? There was none, right? Like he might as well have waited. We might as well have waited. There was no point. It was useless. It was like probably actually charge-wise dead, but it was just a dead thing sitting in his, in his closet. I'm sure he was reminded when he opened a closet, like, oh yeah, I probably should use that. That would be fun, right? I can play Clash of Clans or something on it, right? Hopefully he does more productive things than that, but it doesn't matter. It's his iPad. He can do what he wants. But here's what James gets at, which is like really, really harsh in some ways, but also like really, really helpful and really challenging for us is James makes some statements, one statement in particular in James chapter two, where he says, hey, your faith can quickly become like that iPad. Now, James wasn't saying that. Remember the context? These people were 2,000 years ago, okay? They didn't have iPads. They didn't have iPhones. They didn't have iPods. Can you believe that? Shocking. Some of you, that's the only thing you've learned this morning. But James says here, listen to this. James says in verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? So also, faith by itself, verse 17, if it does not have works, it's dead. It's useless. What's the point? Now, listen, we're, we're going to wait a second, because we're going to wait a couple weeks. We'll get to this passage eventually, Ainsley. But here's what he's saying is that some of you, especially talking to the folks who are going through this persecution, it still might be something you say with your lips. It still might be something you say you believe. But if you really want to live this out and if you want to find life in the midst of whatever your circumstances are, this actually has to be something that is showing with your actions. Your faith must impact and shape and change your life. Or what's the point? It might as well be sitting on a shelf right alongside my dad's iPad for two and a half or three and a half or 10 and a half years. Our faith is not meant, now I'm talking to you guys, is not meant to just be something that we believe in our heads and say from time to time with our lips, but has nothing to do with our daily life. Our faith is meant to change and shape everything. James has already started to talk about it, how it changes, how we, how we look at trials and circumstances in our own life. 
but it's meant to change everything beyond that as well. So James is the author. He's writing to these Jewish Christians who are under intense persecution. He's trying to provide some hope and some life and some direction. And he's also calling them back to, hey, remember, the things that you say, the things that you believe, it has to shape how you live even right now, maybe especially right now in the midst of what you're going through. So over the next several weeks, keep those things in mind as we read, maybe, maybe, as you read on your own at home, who knows, right? Miracles can happen. You can crack your Bible open from time to time. Ella, why are you laughing at that? I saw that. I saw that snicker. I saw it. You don't believe in that? Uh, um, no, but seriously, like, open your Bibles. Read. It's just five chapters. Really short and sweet, and maybe this will become one of your favorite books like it has mine. But keep those things in mind. We're going to be trekking through this for the next probably couple months, uh, camping in the book of James. There's so much goodness. James is a very practical book. He gives, like, very practical, hands-on, like, hey, this is what it looks like to live out your faith. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. And so I think there's going to be, like, some really easy takeaways, but also, as we've already seen, some really challenging takeaways. So keep these things in mind as we read. Keep them in mind as we go to your small groups. Let me pray for us, and we will do just that. God, thank you so much for James. Um, I can't imagine what it would have been like to have Jesus as my brother and to uh, grow up with that... uh, Probably some, some bars were set when it came to being a, a child of Joseph and Mary. And, but at some point, God, you, you saw fit to bring James into not just the family of, of Jesus here on earth, but also into uh, the kingdom family, this heavenly family. You, he's, he's now one of our brothers and sisters in the faith. And so, God, we thank you for James and his life and his leadership, and we thank you for this letter that he's written. Um, I pray that you would continue to speak through this letter, even a few thousand years later, um, to us here in modern times in 2022. May we take some nuggets out of it the next few weeks, and would you use his words uh, that came initially from you anyway uh, to mold and shape us as we go about our lives. We love you. Pray these uh, small groups would already kick off with good discussions around James. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.